Welcome to episode 28 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. This week, we are discussing another topic that I care deeply about. It's something that I believe we as a society have to come together to decide the future on. This week, we are discussing the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. This oil spill occurred on April 20th, 2010 and was located approximately 50 miles off the coast of Louisiana. The oil rig itself was owned and operated by Transocean, the largest offshore drilling contractor in the world. At the time of the disaster, the rig was leased by BP. The disaster itself lasted from April 20th to September 19th, 2010, taking approximately five months to fully cap and prevent any further oil leaks from the well. The Deepwater Horizon rig was originally constructed by South Korean-owned Hyundai Heavy Industries in the year 2000 and was approximately 10 years old at the time of the explosion. The rig was capable of operating in waters between 8,000 and 30,000 feet. The well in which Deepwater Horizon was situated on was located in the Macondo Prospect, situated in the Mississippi Canyon Block 253 of the Gulf of Mexico and the United States' exclusive economic zone. Transocean's safety record at the time of the Deepwater Horizon disaster was described as strong overall with no major incidents occurring for seven years. In 2008 and 2009, the surveys ranked Transocean last among deepwater drillers for job quality and second to last in overall satisfaction. For three years before the merger, Transocean was the leader or near the top in both measures. Prior to the disaster, Transocean was ranked first in 2008 and 2009 in a category that gauges its in-house safety and environmental policies. There were few indications of any trouble with the Deepwater Horizon rig before the explosion. One year prior to the disaster, a 52-page report had been filed with the Minerals Management Service, a sub-department within the Department of the Interior. The plan stated that it was unlikely that an accidental surface or subsurface oil spill would occur from the proposed activities. In the event an accident did take place, the plan stated that due to the well being 48 miles or 77 kilometers from shore and the response capability that would be implemented, no significant adverse effects would be expected. The Department of the Interior exempted BP's Gulf of Mexico drilling operation from a detailed environmental impact study after concluding that a massive oil spill was unlikely. In addition, following a loosening of regulations in 2008, BP was not required to file a detailed blowout plan. Prior to the explosion, the United States Coast Guard issued citations for pollution an astounding 18 times between 2000 and 2010. In addition to these citations, the Coast Guard had also investigated 16 fires and other incidents on the rig. While not directly related to the explosion in 2010, in 2008, the rig was forced to evacuate nearly 80 workers when the rig began sinking due to an incorrect pipe being removed from the ballast system. As with many human-caused disasters that we review on this show, experts and staff tend to not be taken seriously until it's too late or their warnings go completely unacknowledged, even when the warnings are clear as day. Internal BP documents show that BP engineers had concerns as early as 2009 that the metal casing that BP wanted to use might collapse under high pressure. According to a number of crew on the rig, it was understood that workers could get fired for raising safety concerns that might delay drilling. The project was over budget, and pressure to complete the exploratory well at pace wasn't safe is ultimately one of the causes as to why this rig failed. One month prior to the explosion, several compounding failures occurred. The rig experienced problems that included drilling mud falling into the undersea oil formation, 
sudden gas releases, a pipe falling into the well, and at least three occasions of the blowout preventer leaking fluid. The rig's mechanic stated that the well had been experiencing problems for months and that the drill repeatedly kicked due to resistance from high gas pressure. On March 10th, a BP executive emailed the Minerals Management Service about a stuck pipe and well control situation at the drilling site and stated that BP would have to plug back the well. A confidential survey commissioned by TransOcean weeks before the explosion stated that workers were concerned about safety practices and feared reprisals if they reported mistakes or other problems. The survey raised concerns about poor equipment reliability, which they believed was a result of drilling priorities taking precedence over maintenance. The survey found that many workers entered fake data to try and circumvent the system. As a result, the company's perception of safety on the rig was distorted. I truly believe that if the safety concerns had been noted, addressed, and resolved, the blowout and subsequent oil discharge that was experienced could have been far more minimal. Nobody's warnings were acknowledged, and equipment damage and worrying readings from the rig sensors signified that a major event was about to take place. The utter neglect that was shown during this period prior to the explosion on the rig was ridiculous. As the end of March 2010 approached, the drilling operation was already falling farther behind schedule, leading to an even more tense atmosphere. David Rainey, BP Gulf of Mexico Exploration Manager, was putting his staff and the drilling department under extreme pressure to finish the Macondo well and move the rig to the next exploration prospect. Rainey was angry that the MC-252 well was over budget and needed to be finished. Gulf of Mexico engineers were not satisfied that they had a proper leak-off test and that they had concerns to the cement integrity. Rainey pressured them to complete the well. No cement bond log was run. The technical staff wanted to re-squeeze the well and Rainey would not accept this recommendation. Just before the explosion, a series of vibrations rattled the rig as methane gas traveled up the drilling column from the well, bursting through several layers of seals and barriers. A large explosion ripped through the drilling platform, fire spreading throughout the buildings on the top side, and left only around five minutes for the crew to escape. Ironically, mere hours before the explosion, executives from both Transocean and BP were on board the rig to tour and celebrate seven years without a lost time incident with the senior staff in charge of the rig. This explosion spelled the end for the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform as only two days later, the rig sank beneath the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. The United States Coast Guard received word of the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform sinking on April 22nd nearly two days after the explosion and fire. The evacuation of 115 was conducted by both the sea and air. A total of 115 people were evacuated. Lifeboats took 94 workers to the Tidewater-owned supply boat Damon Bankston with no major injuries, four were transported to another vessel, and 17 were evacuated by helicopter to trauma centers in Mobile, Alabama and Marrero, Louisiana. 11 crew members died as a result of this disaster, with the Coast Guard calling off the search for those 11 10 days later, as this is the point that survival was unlikely. On that very same day, Petty Officer Ashley Butler identified the oil leak and stated that the spill was occurring at a rate of approximately 8,000 barrels or 340,000 U.S. gallons or 1,300,000 of liters of crude oil per day. The location of this oil spill happened to be located within proximity to both a detached eddy and a loop current forcing the oil to the affected coastlines stretching from Louisiana to Florida. This oil spill would take approximately five months to successfully cap off. Total oil spilled during this disaster would be estimated at around 210 million U.S. gallons. Following the announcement of the oil spill, hundreds of environmental groups deployed to the area to begin protecting critical wetlands and estuaries from the oil. According to the satellite images, the spill directly affected 70,000 square miles of ocean, which is comparable to the size of Oklahoma. 
By early June 2010, oil had washed up on 125 miles of Louisiana's coast and along the Mississippi, Florida, and Alabama coastlines. Oil sludge appeared in the Intracoastal Waterway and on Pensacola Beach and the Gulf Islands National Seashore. In late June, oil reached Gulf Park Estates, its first appearance in Mississippi. In July, tarballs reached the Grand Isle and the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. In September, a new wave of oil suddenly coated 16 miles of Louisiana coastline and marshes west of the Mississippi River and Plaquemines Parish. In October, weathered oil reached Texas. As of July 2011, about 491 miles of coastline in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida were contaminated by oil, and a total of 1,074 miles had been oiled since the spill began. As of December 2012, 339 miles of coastline remained subject to evaluation and or cleanup operations. The reported 3.19 million barrels of spilled oil was not the only effect of this disaster. There was a report detailing the release of thousands of tons of hydrocarbon gases into the atmosphere. As you just heard, the effects of this spill weren't simply skimmed away with little damage. Thousands of marine animals died as a result, and many communities were forced to suffer and lose vital revenue that so many coastal communities rely on throughout the South. Negligence and a rush to complete the project is what led to this incredibly catastrophic explosion and oil spill. By 2014, it was announced that the oil spill had for the most part been completed. The Coast Guard would remain in place to monitor the physical barriers installed to protect barrier islands and other areas that were deemed vital to marine life. While the dispersants used were effective in the cleanup process, they too were found to have caused several cases of mutations. Dispersants and PAHs from oil are believed to have caused disturbing numbers of mutated fish that scientists and commercial fishers saw in 2012, including 50% of shrimp found lacking eyes and eye sockets. Fish with oozing sores and lesions were first noted by fishermen in November 2010. Prior to the spill, approximately 0.1% of gulf fish had lesions or sores. A report from the University of Florida said that many locations showed 20% of fish with lesions, while later estimates reached 50%. In October 2013, Al Jazeera reported that the Gulf ecosystem was in crisis, citing a decline in seafood catches as well as deformities and lesions found in fish. Unfortunately, marine life was not the only group affected by this spill. According to the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals, June 2010 witnessed the report of 143 spill exposure cases. Of those 143, 108 were workers involved in cleanup efforts and 35 were reported from residents. Mike Robichaux, a Louisiana physician, described the situation as the biggest public health crisis from a chemical poisoning in the history of this country. In July, after testing the blood of BP cleanup workers and residents in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida for volatile organic compounds, environmental scientist Wilma Subra said she was finding amounts 5 to 10 times in excess of the 95th percentile. She said that the presence of these chemicals in the blood indicates exposure. Ricky Ott, a marine toxicologist with experience from the Exxon Valdez oil spill, advised families to evacuate the Gulf. She said that workers from the Valdez spill suffered long-term health consequences. The health effects experienced by workers who were contracted by BP to assist in the cleanup were worrying. Many experienced blood in the urine, short-term memory loss, seizures, and even some forms of cancers. Many of these symptoms continue to occur to this very day and those who helped clean up the affected beaches and waterways. This oil spill caused many communities along the coast to experience financial hardship due to lost revenues from fishing, tourism, and other industries. It was estimated that through 2013, a tourism loss of $22.7 billion would occur. 
Commercially, it is estimated that the Gulf fishing industry would incur a loss of nearly $9 billion, and over 20,000 jobs would be lost during that period. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration had closed 86,985 square miles, or approximately 36% of federal waters in the Gulf of Mexico, for commercial fishing, causing a $2.5 billion loss to the fishing industry. The U.S. Travel Association estimated that the economic impact of the oil spill on tourism across the Gulf Coast over a three-year period could exceed approximately $23 billion in a region that supports over 400,000 travel industry jobs generating $34 billion in revenue annually. Investigations following the oil spill included the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling. Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, Regulation, and Enforcement, and an investigation into the causes of the oil spill began on April 22, 2010. The U.S. government report issued in September 2011 stated that BP is ultimately responsible for the spill and that Halliburton and Transocean share some of the blame. The report states that the main cause was the defective cement job and Halliburton, BP, and Transocean were, in different ways, responsible for the accident. The report stated that although the events leading to the sinking of the Deepwater Horizon were set into motion by the failure to prevent a well blowout, the investigation revealed numerous system deficiencies and acts and omissions by Transocean and its Deepwater Horizon crew that had an adverse impact on the ability to prevent or limit the magnitude of the disaster. The report also states that a central cause of the blowout was failure of a cement barrier allowing hydrocarbons to flow up the wellbore through the riser and onto the rig, resulting in the blowout. The loss of life and subsequent pollution of the Gulf of Mexico were the result of poor risk management, last-minute changes to plans, failure to observe and respond to critical indicators, inadequate well control response, and insufficient emergency bridge response training by companies and individuals responsible for drilling at the Maconda well and for the operation of the drilling platform. Time and time again, human-caused disasters can be prevented. While it was evident that there was pressure building inside the well, the blowout preventer, had it not failed, could have prevented the leak of millions of gallons of crude oil into the Gulf of Mexico. The loss of tens of billions in both commercial and tourist revenue could have also been prevented, but ultimately, it could have averted a full-on environmental disaster and public health crisis. This is why I always say that if you work in an industry that prioritizes the bottom line rather than human and environmental health, speak up and make your concerns known. In early March 2012, BP agreed to settle claims made by the Plaintiff's Steering Committee, a consolidated representative body for many of the individual victims of the spill. For at least $7.8 billion, the monies were to be drawn from the compensation fund mandated by the Obama administration. Previously managed by lawyer Kenneth Feinberg, who had also overseen the compensation fund for victims of the September 11th attacks, the fund was transferred to court control as part of the accord. In addition to covering economic losses sustained in the wake of the spill, the settlement mandated the payment of medical claims and provided for 21 years of further medical monitoring and care, allowing for the delayed onset of symptoms and illnesses. BP remained liable for substantial additional claims by local and state entities, as well as by the federal government. An effort by the company to appeal the agreement, which received final approval in 2012, was rejected by the U.S. Supreme Court in December 2014. In November 2012, BP reached an agreement with the DOJ to plead guilty to 14 criminal charges, among them 11 counts of felony manslaughter and violations of the Clean Water and Migratory Birds Treaty Act. The agreement carried penalties and fines amounting to more than $4.5 billion, of which nearly Nearly $1.26 billion would go to a discretionary fund overseen by the DOJ, some $2.4 billion to the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, and $350 million to the National Academy of Sciences. 
BP also agreed to pay more than half a billion dollars to the Securities and Exchange Commission for misleading its shareholders about the magnitude of the oil spill. The deal was approved in January 2013. Later that November, the EPA suspended BP from entering into any new federal contracts. That suspension, initially thought to be temporary, was reinforced in January 2013. In February, the EPA also issued a separate suspension to the BP subsidiary that had operated the well, the Dallas-based BP Exploration and Production Incorporated, citing a violation of the Clean Water Act. In August 2013, the company filed suit against the EPA in Texas federal court asking that the ban be lifted. It was not lifted until March 2014. The company successfully bid on 24 federal contracts later that month. In January 2013, Transocean agreed to a $1 billion civil penalty under the Clean Waters Act. Approximately $800 million of that amount Amount was earmarked for restoration projects in the Gulf, and the remainder was paid to the federal government. The company also pled guilty to criminal violations of the Clean Water Act, resulting in a $400 million criminal penalty. Of that money, $300 million was evenly divided between restoration projects administered by the NFWF and an offshore oil safety research endowment administered by the NAS. The remainder funded a liability trust to be drawn upon in the event of later spills. In May 2015, Transocean resolved claims made by the Plaintiff's Steering Committee for some $211.7 million. In July 2013, Halliburton agreed to pay a $200,000 penalty for pleading guilty to criminal charges that its employees had destroyed evidence related to the spill. It settled claims with the Plaintiff's Steering Committee for some $1.1 billion in September 2014. In November 2015, Anadarko was judged liable for some $159.5 million in civil penalties for its role in the disaster. I want to thank you for listening to the episode this week. Before we end today's episode... I wanted to speak a little bit about the recent mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. While I know that my condolences and sympathies can only carry so much weight, this is about so much more. In less than two hours, 21 innocent lives were taken by someone who had barely turned 18 years old and was able to purchase two assault rifles. Now, I'm a veteran, and even that makes my blood boil. For this process to be so blatantly easy signifies that there is something truly wrong with the system. The United States is the only developed country in the world that experiences gun violence and mass shootings at the rate we do. This year alone, 27 school shootings have taken place. Total mass shootings that have occurred this year is 214. What more needs to happen for action to be taken? Do more children need to die? Is that it, or is it just because the politicians that choose to do nothing take some of the largest donations from the NRA? Mass shootings should not be occurring at the rate that they happen here in the United States. We have more heavily armed officers per city than anywhere else in the world. Comparing the number of agencies in the United States versus even Canada that polices in a similar style, the United States has approximately 18,000 law enforcement agencies divided between local, state, and federal. In Canada, there are fewer than 200. Why, in a country that is so focused on policing to such a high degree, are they allowing mass shooters through their radars? This shouldn't be about politics. This should be about being able to come together as a country in a time of crisis to deliver the legislation that is needed to prevent those who aim to cause chaos and harm throughout the country. We must stand and not allow senseless killings to continue happening. So, while my condolences only carry so much weight, please know that I will be taking the money that my patrons have donated and donating those to the Moms Demand Action Group. I refuse to stand by and watch any more children be killed. The United States is at a critical precipice in its history. Do we do nothing and continue to let mass shootings increase, or do we stand and demand action? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.